Welcome to Karine and Rose's EdTech Roundup, a new series of the EdTech podcast designed for educators, learners, parents, and anyone who wants to know how to get the best from technology when learning or teaching. And today we've got two great guests joining us. We've got Caroline Allams and Ernest Jevons. Caroline uh, is co-founder and chief product officer of Natahub, which teaches children to be safe and kind digital citizens, while Ernest Jevons is co-founder of Adurio, and Adurio helps schools to use evidence to improve. And we're going to start off with some news. So what's in the news that we're going to talk about this week, Karine? Perhaps there's a couple of things we can start Perhaps we can start with Ernest, especially as Adurio has launched a major new report in partnership with the Key on safeguarding, which shows that one in 10 um, pupils in England have missed school in the last six months because they felt unsafe. Importantly, it's recognised by all stakeholders that student voice is missing in key reports. However, what's really great about this report is that it actually represents the views of 70,000 pupils aged from between 7 and 18 years old. And I understand, Ernest, that the work is also supported by the Confederation of School Trusts. So, Ernest, can you start by giving our listeners an overview of the findings of this important report and the implications it has for school leaders? Uh, Of course, uh, I'd love to. Thank you for that. Now, uh, yeah, we kicked off the report, well, the work on the report last summer, actually. So it's been over half a year in in the making when we asked the trust leaders and school leaders we work with on what are the priority topics where you'd like to get a better understanding of what's going on. And time and time again, we say we saw that safeguarding came as a top list of uh, top of the list of concerns where there was an appreciation that this is really important, but there was a feeling that we were kind of chasing the the cases and and there wasn't a proactive way to understand what's going on. So we kicked off this new review together with the key on essentially answering three questions. One, do pupils feel safe? Second is, do they know what to do if they do not feel safe? And third is, what are their attitudes towards others in the school? So so thinking about, do the pupils themselves contribute to a safer environment for others? Uh, We were thrilled by the response uh, within the sector. Um, We had uh, 373 schools participate in the first wave of the the review, gathering feedback from over 70,000 pupils. And that's an ongoing uh, ongoing study, so we have more and more schools and trusts participating. Uh, the data set will will will, will reach hundred thousand very very soon and keep growing uh, in twenty twenty three. And the data set really covers all year groups, average about five thousand uh, pupils per year group. And interestingly, it also has uh, it's the first case where we have meaningful data sets from. Uh, from, for, for example, pupils who don't identify as either boy or girl, or from LGBTQI plus uh, uh, pupils, being able to, in an anonymous way, understand the lived experiences of, of those groups of uh, pupils. And there's a lot to be said that there's a lot of positive uh, stuff. So the majority of pupils feel safe in school, out of school, and online. But there are also some concerns. Corinne, you mentioned the one in 10 pupils uh, having missed uh, school uh, prior to, uh, well, due to to safety concerns. We also saw that out of those pupils who reported being safe, whether online or in school, the majority of them said that they had felt unsafe multiple times. So it wasn't an isolated incident. So we saw that those pupils who have been impacted, that was an uh, a, a continuous or repeated uh, challenge. And thinking about the differences between various groups, we saw that uh, the challenges were more pronounced in years uh, 8 to uh, 11. So in secondary school, the safeguarding concerns um, quite considerably uh, increased. Uh, we saw that pupils who uh, didn't identify as either uh, male or female had more safeguarding uh, challenges and concerns about their safety, as did non-heterosexual pupils. Um, And so that all highlights areas for the schools to prioritize and find opportunities to work with. Now, one just one statistic that I I, I was really surprising to me and uh, and highlighted uh, a priority area for schools is that when we asked pupils if they 
ever felt unsafe would they ask an adult at school for help so if 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 you were if you felt unsafe would you go to an adult at school and 61% said yes i would which is really positive however when we ask those who had reported feeling unsafe whether they actually tell any adults at adults at school only a quarter of pupils said they had and that's this 61% say they would but only a quarter said they actually did when they felt unsafe and that's an area where we need to take a more proactive approach to safeguarding so those are some of the general findings and the research is ongoing reports 2 and 3 will be coming out in 2023 looking more at the correlations uh but uh, and obviously didn't manage to go through all the findings but i hope this gives you a little bit of an overview that's that's brilliant um ernest and i think what's important there is that you got it wasn't just pupil voice you got to sections of pupil voice that don't normally have a chance to shine and say how they feel because of their own concerns um you said obviously there's this issue that that um, students said they felt safe to go and report it to a teacher but they didn't did you get any sense of why they didn't well we often see that when it comes to a hypothetical we we of course can feel comfortable talking about it but in reality when when pupils said they they hadn't we saw a few things that they highlighted sense of shame or a sense of responsibility that they feel they should be sorting their their own challenges out so there are various uh, elements but another linked piece which we saw in uh, in a report that we published uh, last year on pupil well-being overall we saw that many pupils choose to speak to their uh, school friends first before talking to parents and so an interesting thought for school leaders is we're doing a lot of training to that for the adults at school what to do when there's a safeguarding concern are we also providing guidance to the children how they can support their peers and their friends that's brilliant thank you Alice. and this they can anyone can download this report completely free from Magirio can't they to learn from it and they can use it as well as a model to ask their own questions for their own context can't they they can use some of that or in fact come to you for help to um, look at their own context and develop their own research and questions specifically to their schools absolutely thanks Curry. yeah any anyone can participate uh, any school or trust can participate in the review and benchmark their performance against the national averages but all our research reports are available uh, for free so just google adurio safeguarding review and you'll be able to access the full report and sign up to any future reports if you if you want to so it's a completely free resource useful to you in schools that you can have tomorrow morning or today as soon as you you know as soon as you've listened to this podcast. Yeah, thanks Ernest. That was really great and and really interesting information there. And wonderful that people can access the full report for free. I'm going to pick up on something actually I think that's slightly related to what Ernest has said in the higher education sector. It, it it's more to do with mental health, but I think it is related to 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 safeguarding in a different sort of a way. So an organization called CHEG, who some people may have heard of, some might not have done. I think if you have heard of CHEG, you probably think of it as a provider of secondhand textbooks for university students because that's how it started out. But it's actually loads more than that now, provides a lot of online tutoring, support for students, particularly students from non-traditional university backgrounds. And they've launched in the US a mental health week for students that's going to be in February this year. Um, so this is something that will be in the week from the 6th of February to the 12th of February. So it ties in with online safety day that we're talking about as our main topic on this podcast. And just so that you know, CHEG is not just an organization that's working in the US. It's now becoming much more prevalent in the UK. And they did a fascinating piece of work earlier this year that came out on UK university students struggling with classroom anxiety, struggling with making friends, cost of living in post-lockdown, and uh, really quite worrying statistics, I think, along with some of the worrying statistics coming out of the report that Ernest's talked about uh, for school children. So, for example, coming out of the report that was done on UK university students uh, for CHEG, not by CHEG, but for CHEG by an independent organisation, Nearly three quarters, so 71% of students say they tend to feel anxious about their classes and their schoolwork. 
And 44% of them said they had trouble meeting new people and making friends. And there were also lots of issues to do with well-being, bearing in mind Ernest was talking about their previous survey looking at well-being. So, for example, 64% of the UK students said that they struggled to get enough sleep and 54% said they struggled to practice healthy habits like healthy eating. So I think students across the board have some concerns and there's some things that we should be worrying about and thinking about what can we do to provide support. And I know that's a large part of what Cheg are doing with this initiative to have this mental health week in February to try and draw attention to the needs for greater support. And I think it's greater support for students across the board. I would also say probably for teachers and lecturers as well. And another thing that's in the news, and this is my last in the news <laughs> piece for today, as ever is the case, Karine, we find Ofsted feature very heavily when we look at the news each week, don't we? And interestingly, one of the stories uh, that we've looked at this week is a report that Amanda Spielman, who's the chief inspector of Ofsted, has said that she was surprised when she found that primary school children have smartphones and that she was not comfortable with younger children having unlimited internet access, which is obviously highly relevant to our main topic of conversation for today. But I just wondered, as a head teacher, Karine, what are your thoughts about uh, smartphones? We know they can be great tools for learning, but but they do present some challenges and issues for teachers, don't they? Certainly they do, but I'm surprised that she was surprised that young children have smartphones. I think that's the first thing to say. You've only got to look on the street shopping and see the children with their smartphones. In fact, I've asked children to help me with my smartphone when I first had one. Let's be real. Technology will always find its way into the classroom, number one. Now, there are widely differing views. Let's look at the different views first, and I'll tell you how I feel about it. Um, regarding the use of phones across all stages, with some heads arguing that it makes sense to utilise this trusted device, which they're comfortable with, especially as they're sort of handheld computers with cameras, speakers, access to the internet. And, you know, financially schools are strapped and sometimes it's useful to use this technology, while others argue it's a disruption to the classroom. Now, many parents, again, many parents have different views. They want their children. In my school, parents were saying, our children, you are not banning mobile phones. They are having them because it's safety for travelling to and from school when you do questionnaires. But I'm not sure about them being in the classroom. And then we saw during the pandemic how children were allowed to use them, in, you know, to download their homework. And they became an actual necessity for many schools so that children could stay connected, not just socially with their friends, but to actually connect with school and to download. Because, you know, not being funny that some of the schools didn't have the infrastructure or and children didn't have one to one. Now, other heads, despite parental controls that may be set or the restrictions that may the school's network has are worried that children will secretly access inappropriate material and that use of mobile phones will increase the chances of cyberbullying. And interestingly, the French government agree with them because they ban mobile phones in school for children up to the age of 15. They have to keep them in their bags. So what about me as a head teacher when I run a school? Well, I would argue you cannot have a one-size-fits model for all. If you know the pedagogical reason that you want your children to use their phones and you have the appropriate risk assessments and controls in place and your staff are well versed in their safe use, it makes sense to use them at appropriate times. Now, you know, my children used to when the iPad scheme came in, they bought their own iPads into school, which they can, you know, they, you could argue they can still access inappropriate material. Nothing is 100 percent safe. Let's 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 put that out there. You cannot expect, even in your own, because you can't watch children all the time, and children are very, very good students, incredibly young students at, at doing all, you know, we, we've seen in the news years ago, young students who hacked into the White House and all sorts of things. But what you've got to do is train people and talk to people and keep everything overt and open and honest. And as a school, you make the decisions for your students in your context. To have a you can, you can't is a very difficult thing to do because it will curtail some schools that have really good risk assessments, that it good training, understand pedagogically why they want to use it. Whereas for others, it might not be appropriate at their time for their pupils. What's your views on the subject, Caroline? Oh, well, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think 
just to reiterate, tech used in the right reasons. We know that, you know, safe risk is what really develops the digital resilience that children need to navigate themselves in a digital landscape. So I would wholeheartedly support the idea of having devices embedded across a school um, environment and used for the right reasons. We, I think when it comes to technology and certainly a mobile device, What's really lacking is suitable role modeling system. I mean, they've been designed to be distracting. So fighting that distraction is a massive challenge. Our tool um, and our company, Natahub, is really aimed at primary schools. So that's that's our area of expertise. I think the transition into secondary schools, as you've already highlighted, is a is a is a difficult one. It presents challenges. But I think when when children have had so few role modeling opportunities with mobile devices and we're all at mercy at the mercy of of the device you know they've seen um, parents grandparents really distracted by technology and therefore having them um, embedded into a school scenario um, and then and expecting children to automatically only be able to use them in a focused way is is really hard I think going back to Amanda uh, Spielman, I think she used the wrong word, really. She didn't do herself any favours by being surprised. I think limiting um, access to or automatic access to to um, connected devices is is commendable. Um, but being surprised really kind of highlights a lack of awareness really about what what our children are experiencing online and really raises awareness of the disparity that we have, that there is between um, adults' understanding of what children um, are actually doing online and what they think their children are doing online. So, yeah, lots of things to unpack there. And I I think it's very important, um, uh, Caroline, you brought up the fact about uh, good models. And one of the things parents often think is because they see their children at the table, not having a conversation, looking at their phone all the time, that they're going to be in lesson with the, the phone out and they're, they're going to be concentrating on their friends and not what's on the lesson. Well, yes, if you allow them to. But the whole point is we need to allow our teachers to have training and time to understand how to use the devices they've got. Not not keep throwing loads of devices, but let's use a few really well with our young people and actually we we had a ama- in my school was a junior school. We had amazing results mm-hmm. with children who summarised news of the week and sent it out in a meet and tweet, and were learning to summarise in a certain amount of characters. It was used for a specific purpose. It wasn't out all the time, and it's about having those risk assessments, that understanding, but also teachers having the technology themselves and providing that for teachers as part of their toolkit and allowing them to have the training on it. And I think we miss those steps when we talk about technology. We're expecting teachers to to learn how to do all this in their own time, and it can become overwhelming, and then we don't get the right models. So I think that's just just an important point to highlight out there. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Caroline. Well, our main topic for today, that leads on really nicely uh, for today's episode, is focused on a landmark event that is observed every year generally on the second Tuesday of the second week in February, and that's Safer Internet Day, fondly referred to as SID, and it began its life in 2004 as an initiative of the EU's Safer Border Project. I believe it's now celebrated in 200 countries, reaching millions of people worldwide. Now, as we've said, the internet is a powerful tool woven into our everyday lives, as highlighted, and that was a a really good hinge for us with COVID-19 pandemic. We saw technology in a new light. Nevertheless, as we've already mentioned, it comes with its its own risks. And so the aim of SID is to make the digital landscape really a better experience for everyone. Hence its slogan, Together for a Better Internet. Now, the UK Safer Internet Centre for, is formed by three charities, I believe, Childnet, Internet Watch Foundation and the Southwest Grid for Learning. And in 2011, they took over this work to identify the threats and harms that young people may face online. And it's worth noting, again, we'll put a link to it, that they provide a huge range of free resources, including assemblies, for all ages up to the age of 18. And it's broken into different age groups. There's, there's four sets of um, 
different key stages. They have education campaigns, they have letters and all sorts of things that will do the heavy lifting for teachers and save time. And this year's Safer Internet Day will be held on February the 7th with full stories about cyberbullying, because cyberbullying, what the theme is, want to talk about it, making space for conversations about life online, which picks up nicely on what you were saying earlier, Caroline. So certainly an important area of concern as the internet and social media have become a prime form of communication for young people. So Caroline, do you want to tell us a bit more about Natahub and your views about Safer Internet Day? I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, Safer Internet Day um, is great. It, it's a it's it's a bit like our our Christmas um, at Natahub. But we really have designed Natahub to be a tool that enables teachers to uh, teach the soft skills that underpin positive digital citizenship right across the year. So while Safer Internet Day is an incredible way to, you know, bring everyone's attention to the need for a safe internet space for our children, I really think that we are at the stage now um, where we ought to be um, looking at every day being Safer Internet Day if we are to achieve what you have already outlined, which is that we need to use tech uh, for the right reasons on an everyday basis to get to maximise and thrive online. It needs to be more than a day. So, but absolutely support. And we work very closely with those three charities that um, have built this incredible um, event. So Nata Hub was really born out of the idea that children are just given a device and, and the stakeholders kind of hope for the best. Because part of the problem with statistics, and certainly those statistics around online vulnerability, are that as a parent, um, they are so awful um, that it's better to think that it won't happen to my child. So here's the device. Well, it's important that children have access to, to devices, so we'll just hope that those those statistics don't um, impact my child and, and their well-being. But NASA Hub really is a is an immersive environment. It's a gated platform that's been designed especially for primary schools as an early intervention to teach children the human aspects of being online. So our concern is uh, enabling uh, children at the time in their life when they're just getting to grips with their personal social skills and their their personal uh, their social and emotional development um, because they are living in this blended landscape they they've been born into this digital era and therefore primary school teachers who work so hard at those at those soft skills of enabling children to understand the importance of boundaries and social interactions and making eye contact and different being able to behave in different scenarios it's imperative that we also introduce children to understanding how to behave in an online space in order that they develop as as um, responsible uh, digital citizens so Natahub is this gated environment that looks and feels to children like social media. Now, this is very exciting for them. It's very age appropriate and it's and it's very child friendly, but it happens to be really easy um, for teachers to use because, as you've highlighted, the need for training teachers is great. But there are a lot of teachers who feel overwhelmed by teaching online safety and, and, and digital citizenship um, because there's a lot of fear around children being in this environment that was never designed for them. And so what that fear does is, and you've, you've also mentioned grandparents, that, that when there's fear, there's, oh, well, I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to teach that efficiently. And, and children are very perceptive and children can easily pick up when, well, I probably know more about the digital world than the teacher telling me, you know, something about being online or the advice that teachers are giving um, during these 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 sessions and these lessons. Um, children can see a flaw in it because actually it doesn't resonate with their experiences when they're going home every day and sitting on a screen for possibly even at primary school age, two, three, four, even five hours a day. So Natahub was designed to mimic an environment that resonates with children's digital experiences, but it's gated to the classroom. So 
There are, there's a library of over 350 interactive lessons. So the teacher is able to go in and click and teach. Um, they're all supported with lesson plans and teacher notes and glossary of terms. Everything is assessed, but it's done in an interactive way so that the teacher, even with limited knowledge of digital communication and those environments, are able to teach digital citizenship through the medium of digital communication, which makes it very exciting and engaging for children and provides teachers with that safe risk environment that we know builds digital resilience. And it forges conversation. And this is really the most important aspect of reducing online vulnerability. You've already mentioned it. Communication is key, um, but we need to give teachers the tools and the training to have the right conversations so that children can discuss and reflect their digital experiences. So NATA Hub is a tool that allows schools to regularly have these impactful conversations around what they're actually doing online. So each of our lessons has anonymous polls inside it. These form the basis of really important conversations for teachers to have with their students. And as I said, everything is assessed, not just on the knowledge learned, but also when a child is able to demonstrate those soft skills in our in our platform, the teacher can reward that as well. I think that's what sets us apart from some of the other online safety providers is that we're not just asking children to receive information. We're also giving them this gated space where they can actually use and apply what they've what they've learned. So Safe for Internet Day is, um, is a great way to um, have a play with something like NatHub. We offer it free across the two weeks around Safer Internet Day. So anybody who's listening who wants to have something, you know, really exciting for their students to get stuck into, we really would welcome you to um, sign up for a free trial, no strings attached, no expectations to continue on after that after that time. So well, that's brilliant, Caroline, because what, what I'm hearing then is NatHub Hub will help teachers do the heavy lifting. Yes. What's really important in this is that it's not a one-day event because we're preparing children for their futures and not our pasts and these futures involve children using the internet every day sometimes five hours a day and so you know we need to be doing this as a regular part of our conversation within our schools and our classrooms you know as as regular as a daily assembly is almost all the way at every opportunity and using the expertise of the children because we heard from Ernest earlier that children talk to children so if we can have those conversations where we encourage pupil voice and children to be, if you like, the masters of their own destiny by being the experts in the room and having more collaborative discussions. Because, you know, we talk about collaboration school. This is an, ex- you know, an exciting, important area where we can have real collaboration in learning. Then actually we will create better digital citizens. That's what I'm hearing for the future. And teachers don't need to be afraid because actually there's a lot of um, information resources and on NatterHub that you can try free that's going to lead you and do the heavy lifting for teachers who are in environments where their workload is huge. But this could they could start with Safer Internet Day, trial it and take away all the planning because they can just look and experiment with it. That's what I'm hearing, isn't it? That's amazing. Thank you for that. You know, giving children a voice is so powerful. And and for those teachers who um, may be a little reticent through fear or, you know, a, a lack of personal knowledge, it's it's the feedback that we've had is that, you know, when, when teachers are able to lift the lid on, on children's experiences, not only do they get the chance to then reflect and, and discuss with their peers, but as you said, learning learning from each other is 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 so important and and, and exciting. Um, and really to, you know, not just have those conversations, but to be able to celebrate positive digital citizenship. And this brings me back to the role modeling. You know, having in primary schools, when you're doing your awards for 
you know, all the other things that we celebrate in primary schools to also be able to have a digital award every week, you know, to be able to discuss per social and emotional scenarios that happened in the playground or he said this and she said that and he reacted in this way, to be able to then project that into an online scenario that's part of our daily dialogue to say, what? how would that look if it was online? What would be the implication of you be reacting impulsively in that situation if you were online? And it's so easy to forget that because children understand a face-to-face scenario that they that the assumption is that they they will then carry that into an online space but the the internet is abstract and that makes it very difficult for young children to perceive potential risk when um when they don't fully understand an abstract space so it's really important that we we create uh, regular opportunities for these kinds of conversations. I think that's really important, Caroline. I think an, another issue that would be well worth bringing up is because the focus, just if we look at the Safer Internet Day focus, want to talk about it, making space for conversations. One of the other areas to think about is how Ernest talks about those different groups of pupils that don't speak, that don't have a voice. So you need to have strategies in your schools that help those students feel comfortable about talking because you can create a place for your peers to do collaborative work but some will not talk because they don't feel they belong now for younger students some of the things that you can do is you can have a in in my school we used to have a think book so that students who felt they wanted to tell somebody so they had a choice you know there were times when they could talk to their peers but they could give that think book to anybody they trusted within the school with the promise that it would be answered within 24 hours not marked not talked about they didn't even have to write anything they could write uh, you know do an emoji with a sad face and somebody would take them to one side to have a conversation but we have to also think if we want children to have some of these conversations about the way of making them comfortable if we want to be inclusive of all children from different groups. And I think that's an important point that we, and it's worth mentioning. And, and just to pick up on that, we have a digital version of that within Natterhub um, because obviously so much of our, of our lessons, well, first of all, kindness and respect um, underpins every one of our lessons but also knowing when to report that hierarchy of reporting is so important. Um, It's all well and good, as you said, having an open dialogue in the classroom. And I think with practice of that, and and it's like normalizing the conversation and dialogue of anything that's uncomfortable. It's getting on, it's getting comfortable with having uncomfortable conversations, but there are always going to be children who still might, may not reach that point of being able to, discuss things openly um so we have a button the worry box um which children can go into on Natterhub, which is part of the free tool as well where children can send a one-way message they can pick a member of staff to send that to there are emojis that they can use to describe how they're feeling there's a uh, there's a space for them to add anything extra it gets sent to that um that member of staff the member of staff cannot reply digitally they will just receive um, an email and then they know to then pick up that conversation face to face with that pupil. So I think we're talking the same language. It's talking that seems to me to be super important. And this business of awareness, I was very struck in what Ernest was talking about at the start of the programme and in a lot of what you've been saying, Caroline, and the importance of opening up conversations and people feeling able to talk about maybe their misunderstanding, their understanding, giving teachers confidence to deal with these issues. Um, and I hesitate at this point because I want everybody to use Natterhub and, and, and to feel positive about the internet and all of the good things that can come from it. But I do want to just ask you a, a difficult question. I was very struck this morning. I was listening to Radio 4, as I often do in the morning, and there was a report from the Internet Watch Foundation about, I don't know if you heard it as well, 10 times increase in child pornography, children abusing children or abusing themselves past post-internet. And one of the things that I took away from that report was that this is happening most of the time in homes, in bedrooms, when parents are there, but they just don't realise they're not aware of what their children are doing. And the children don't obviously feel able to talk about the fact that they're being persuaded to do these things. I was really shocked that the increase could be so 
so high and that this could be so prevalent. And it made me feel when we were coming on the, the pod today to record that I really wanted to ask you, Caroline, it seems to me that what you're doing is so important. So I'm sorry to put you on the spot with such a horrible subject, but it seems really important to me. And, and I couldn't agree more. It, it's very important to us as well. And we um, are really proud of the relationship that we have with the Internet Watch Foundation. We watch their statistics very closely. And what we are really dedicated to doing is being able to create an age-appropriate bridge for tackling the very worst aspects of children being online without exposing children to the horrors. Recently, just before Christmas, we had a campaign that we ran in conjunction with the Internet Watch Foundation. We created a hashtag, have the conversation, around the deep concern that we had around this, what's somewhat unhelpfully termed self-generated imagery, um, where children are coerced or groomed into creating uh, videos or images of themselves. And it's also a gender issue. So it's predominantly girls. Greatest spike in the increase is between girls just aged seven to 11. So this absolutely is a primary school issue. Now, when we first started doing our research about Natahub, everybody assumed that this would be a secondary school uh, tool. I'm a primary school teacher. My background is education and I'm not a techie. I'm absolutely, um, a, you know, a pastoral lead, you know, have been in, in, in the past in, in my schools. Um, but my focus is on the human elements of our relationship with technology. And in order to bridge, you know, these these horrors and, and, and how do we tackle that in a, in a primary school? Well, the, all of our, our of our lessons and, and and a way of empowering teachers to teach these lessons is by focusing on online behaviour. We say to teachers, you are already experts in your field at reducing online vulnerability. You might not think you are, but actually it stems in, in online behaviour. Now, you can tackle behaviour. That's what you do all the time. Your classroom management is at the core of everything that you, that you teach on top of that. And how you manage your classroom is very similar to the way that we need to tackle online vulnerability. And that's by regularly talking about boundaries and expectations of how we behave and how we self-protect. So with young children, you know, part of Natahub is about the limitations and boundaries. So you've got a really powerful tool on your device. It's called a camera. And we know there's nothing funnier than sitting with granny and granddad and showing them uh, Snapchat filters for the first time because nobody will laugh harder than your grandparents when they first have a go at using those filters. And we know that there's loads of fun, but there are also times when you may be asked in the middle of playing Roblox or in the middle of your Minecraft game, there's somebody that it always seems to be on when you're playing starts talking to you and this is going to build up over time. And they might, you might get to the stage where somebody asks you for a photograph. So all of our lessons are very scenario based and we have that conversation and hence the hashtag, what would you do in that situation? Mm. So then you're opening up the, the, the dialogue around the importance of the answer is always going to be no. So you're allowing children to understand um, a situation that really resonates with, with, with their experiences of being online. But you're saying that it's really, really important that the answer is always no when somebody asks you for a photograph. And, and going back to that point that we made right at the beginning of this conversation about unlimited access to the Internet, we work very closely with parents. And actually, we're in the next couple of weeks, we're about to launch Natahub Home, which is a program for parents to purchase for their children as the education that comes before they get their first device. But what we what we really talked to, because we, we also offer... Um, completely free to all schools that can register um, their interest. We offer parent webinars because we know that parents and grandparents need as much support as possible with tackling um, and parenting, digital parenting. So what we one of the main messages is unlimited access to the Internet is a no, no. And so if we are then changing the habit. We're giving parents and carers the permission to remove automatic access to the internet. 
this opens up a conversation, which is as simple as, can I go online? Well, what are you going to do online? And then you have already created what we term as healthy caution, healthy fear, because it's the same in any scenario where there's potential risk. Of course, we want to be able to teach our children to be able to walk home safely from school by themselves. What does this need? This needs them to understand that they have to logistically cross the road without being run over and, you know, emotionally be able to tackle anything that comes in their way on the way home from school. And how do we do that? We have conversations around it. And really, it's just normalizing and reminding that in order to preserve childhood, we need to create this healthy caution around children being online. And by removing unlimited access to the internet to primary school children, by the time they get to secondary school, they have a deep understanding of the need for caution when they're online. Brilliant. Thank you, Caroline. That's a super useful answer. And I'm thrilled to hear about Nutter Hub Home. Can you let us know when that launches and then we can make Absolutely. sure people are aware yeah. on the pod? Because that sounds like it'll be great. Parents, grandparents. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Back to you, Kerry. which is our topical top tech tip and I actually managed to say that right this week okay so we have this year uh, this week sorry we have a tip well Rose do you want to start with your tip first before I, I take one that came in from one of our viewers yeah sure I'm on a bit of a riff with the whole AI theme because of the popularity or perhaps not popularity of chat GPT so I'm always encouraging everybody to try and engage with a little bit of AI so Uh, This week, my topical top tech tip to use your audio dictation feature, either on your smartphone or on your laptop or your computer. All of the devices these days do transcription. So you can speak and you can watch what you're saying being produced as text on the screen and just play around with it. Experiment with when the transcript is accurate and when it isn't. And try and understand a little bit about why sometimes your uh, auto transcription gets it wrong. Also watch when the transcription undoes itself and redoes itself, because something you've said later in time, the smart tech can now interpret to self-correct what it had transcribed earlier and just play around with it, realize its limitations and its strengths, because I think it's a great way of engaging with AI. Well, that's a really good one, Rose, because I've been using mine a lot to, to, to try and save myself time, although sometimes it won't go to the next line when I say that. But yes, really good. Keep going with it. OK, we've also got a topical top tech tip from Dr. Fiona Aubrey-Smith. Now, Um, Fiona is a director of One Life Learning and founder of PedTech and it relates her tip relates relates beautifully to to the discussion that we've had today and it was every decision in a school is ultimately a pedagogical decision because it opens or closes a door to learning and I thought that was amazing and I know that uh, Fiona um, is writing a book that's going to be about these issues so we'll look out for that when it comes and perhaps we can let our viewers know when that's that's come. But uh, uh, two two good tips there for our listeners. Now, we've also had some some general listener questions in. And what's been interesting today is that the listening questions have actually come from two sets of grandparents, Paul Turner and Fiona Lovegrove who both actually live in Hampshire. Now, we, as I said earlier, interestingly, grandparents often play a significant part in the lives of their grandchildren, especially with so many working parents. Now, they, they, their questions that they sent in both relate to apps. Paul asked, is there a symbol like the lock for a secured site, which enables you to know the app has been approved for the children? While Fiona wanted to know, if my grandchild asked me to download an app on my phone 
or wanted to use my iPad, how would I know that it is safe? What would I need to know in order to make an informed decision about them using it? You know, I really feel for grandparents feeling it's unwieldy. As soon as any child comes towards you with a device, Kate, saying, can I download this? First of all, I'd like to say congratulations for having the request there in the first place, because that goes back to our unlimited access removal. Um, So having the conversation, can I download this, is a great place to start. I think I'm probably more equipped to answer the second question than the first, but the First of all, I think being able to give children an informed decision is always a good idea. Um, How do you know if something's safe? Nothing really is as good as trying it yourself. Now, I know that this might create a barrier or two to some people who might not feel they've got the the awareness or even the time or the understanding of a game um, or an app in order whether it's suitable but most of the time if you if you by yourself as an adult download it first of all that means saying to the child I will need to have a look at it first so creating that time lapse expectation that it's not going to happen immediately and obviously children living in a digital world are not always patient because they're used to instant download but I think being able to say give me some time I'll have a look I'll decide you can easily decide whether the content looks age appropriate or not. Um, now, if you don't ha- if you don't have the confidence to do that yourself to make that decision, find a teenager, find somebody who is happy to have a look at it for you. The other way that you can go is I can't recommend highly enough Common Sense Media, another great website, completely free. I think you get free three reviews a, a month before there's a paywall, but it's a, it's not very much, but three reviews a month, you can go onto Common Sense Media. They have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reviews of popular apps, and they will give you the right kind of information that you need in order to make an informed decision. So I would say on Nataha website, we have bite-sized information about platforms and YouTubers. So YouTubers are another one that, you know, lots of children love YouTube. They want to watch YouTubers. Um, So a good way is is just to Google the YouTuber, um, look at, um, see if we've got it on our site, but also Common Sense Media will give lots of information around that. And And I think an informed decision builds that respect from the young person as well, because then they are like, oh, well, at least they're not just saying no for the sake of saying no, um, which which is always good. That's great, Caroline. And actually, I'm going to let Karine talk about the lock padlock because I know that uh, she's she's the person who introduced the idea of talking about that. But before I come to Karine on that, I just want to really stress the value of what you've just said, Caroline. It is this conversation is about time putting in that speed bump no we're not going to do it immediately but let's talk about it let's have a look about it and I think as a grandparent okay people can say well it's all right for you Rose you're a techie you know you understand it but even so I know with my own grandchildren you know that can we do this on your laptop granny Rose can we do that you know it's like well okay let's have a look what is this is this something I know let's talk about it let's look at what it is you why do you want to do this what's it going to do for you and I think Having the confidence to have those conversations is really important. I did just want to make one technical point before I cross back to Karine, and that is one of the problems with providing kite marks or symbols or anything like that for anything digital is that the next update, it can be a different product. And so what have you kite marked or, or, or put a symbol on? So I think for many parents and grandparents, they don't understand why. Why can we not just have this is child safe written on the label? And, and it's because it changes all the time. And so it might be child safe one day and not the next. Yeah. And I, I, I just to add to that, I, I think that if anything can give you confidence in, you know, you said, you know, you're, you're seen as a techie, so it's all right for you. But actually, even as somebody who is, interested or more comfortable with technology it is an ever-evolving space and things do change rapidly so even for people who are familiar with technology there's still a conversation that needs to be had 
and one, you know, one kite mark or one label doesn't fit everybody. You, you know, you know your children and you know what they are sensitive to, what they might be afraid of or <gasps> shocked by might maybe very different from, from another child. And so it's creating that understanding of who is this young person that's asking me this question? What do I know about them? And what are the questions that I need, as you said, to, to ask Gut feeling is is very powerful in in this space um, for for parents and carers to to make decisions. Trust your instincts. I couldn't agree more. If it doesn't feel right, don't do it. The com- the question here about a secured site, so the lock for a secured site, is to do with the unique resource locator, the address for the site. So if you're going to an internet site and it starts with HTTPS, the S stands for secure, and you often see a padlock symbol along the same time. And that means that you can have some faith that the data that is being tracked by that website is secure and private. So the advice there is to make sure that if you are looking to access an internet site, to watch out for the S on the end of the HTTPS. Caroline, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Um, I think any of these kinds of pointers that people can lean on, um, it just gives them a little bit of up for extra armour. Um, it's a scaffold, isn't it? It's a help. We all need all the help we can get with this stuff. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And along with the permission to say no. Yes. You know, I mean, I think Hester power is, is strong and... What we say to parents is if every if if children say, but everybody has it, everybody's got it. It's just absolutely not true. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> not everybody has it. And and um a little, you know, it's a little thing. Uh my son is in year six, and um I to avoid overload again, but just to kind of remind him of who's in control of the technology at his stage in life, I say, if you're going to choose to download something, I've checked it out, I'm okay with it, I'm going to ask you to delete something else. Um, because again, it's just to reduce the noise and it's, it, it's to increase the awareness of managing technology. And just anything that gives parents, carers, grandparents, something to help feel that they can stay in control it's just having those conversations absolutely I think you're so right really great to have had you join us today Caroline thank you so much um, we'll put some links in in the pod notes and as I said please let us know when Nutterhub Home launches because then we can make people aware of that because I think there'll be lots of people who would be really interested well that's it for today many thanks for joining us we hope you found this pod interesting enjoyable and helpful and we hope you'll listen to our next episode please do keep the questions coming it's really great for us to receive questions from you our pod listeners because it helps us to make sure that what we cover in the pod is something that's interesting to you and it's an opportunity for you to get your conversation get your questions posed to experts like caroline or to Ernest and to other people that we'll be having in the future on the pod i hope you have a great week and look forward to you listening to the pod again in the future <laughs>